Ah, hello, everyone. Welcome to the program. Good to have you here. I am Trish Regan. This is the live edition of the program today. It is, as always, so good to have you here. Just a quick reminder, if you haven't subscribed yet, do me that favor. Subscribe to the channel. Give it a thumbs up. Share all that good stuff, because we have a lot of news that we're covering here on the program today, including this breaking news about Hunter Biden. There's some breaking news on Joe Biden as well I want to get to. But first off, we want to thank our wonderful sponsor, one of our wonderful sponsors here on the program over at LegacyPMInvestments.com. One eight six six five eight nine zero five six zero is their number. One eight six six five eight nine zero five six zero. If you're interested in investing in gold, if you're worried about inflation, these are the guys to call. Okay, here we go. After the races, everyone, Hunter Biden can't call Daddy on this one. No, 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 no. Daddy's off limits on this because you see. There's a few people over in Congress. I'm talking about James Comer. I'm talking about Jim Jordan. And they mean business. So they just came out moments ago with this filing. Let me share this with you because you see, here we go. <laughs> they're, they're making sure that he knows he has to comply with the subpoena. He can't just say, oh, you know, I'm not going to do this. He, he thought maybe he wouldn't have to comply with the subpoena. Can you imagine that? There was even some talk of, well, maybe I'll do a Zoom. Nobody. You can't do a Zoom. You can't do a Zoom because you have to comply. And if you don't comply, then guess what? You're held in contempt of Congress. Yeah, that's how it works. So sorry, Hunter. I mean, I know you've tried. I know you've tried multiple times in various multiple creative and different ways. If it wasn't for that one judge, that one judge who just said, yeah, this really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You might have actually gotten off. But the truth is, when you've got various shell companies, various LLCs, collecting, according to House Ways and Means and Oversight Committee, $24 million from overseas entities, and you have 70-plus suspicious activity reports known as SARS in the banking industry. That's like a big deal to get. Treasury Department had to be notified, et cetera, because you know what? It looked a little weird, just a little weird that he was getting all this money in from overseas clients, and yet there really wasn't any work being done Nobody could quite figure it out. Well, I mean, we've heard from some of the business partners, have we not, that part of what was going on, entirely what was going on, was that they were selling the Biden brand. And when you're selling the Biden brand, what does that mean? Okay, like we're not morons. It means you're selling access. Exactly. You are selling access. I just want to remind you guys, this is a live program. And if you go take a look at YouTube right now, you can join the chat. I am looking at a lot of your comments here. It's good to see, as I always say, so many familiar faces and also some new ones. So thank you all for that. Again, live program at this moment. So make sure that you uh, subscribe to the channel if you have not already. Really, really important. So Hunter Biden is now going to have to, if you're, mark your calendars, mark your, it's actually my birthday, <laughs> December 13th. Let's see what happens with Hunter Biden on December 13th. I think there's going to be some real fireworks, right? All right, turning to the other bit of news that we've got breaking right now, and, and this is on Pops. So Pops had a lot of names that he liked to use. Some of them are kind of amusing, but there was that, you know, beware thing. Robert, beware. Beware of what, right, you say? Anyway, the, the, the House committee just released this. Let, let's go to it. Because they actually had a kind of a nifty graphic and everything. They spent a little time on this. Well, nifty for them. What's peculiar and what they're citing here is how Biden had all these different alias emails, right? Some 300 and what? I mean, there were a lot of them, 300 and some on various emails under these different, give me 327 emails, not 300 aliases. Although he had a lot of aliases, a lot of aliases. But what they are pointing out is that there's somehow this velocity of emailing going back and forth between Hunter's business partner, this is Hunter's business partner, and these aliases that Joe Biden operated under while he was vice president and this was happening ladies and gentlemen while he was preparing and then in ukraine for his big trip now why is that relevant well first of all first of all you know you're not supposed to be selling access that's kind of just like a a primer shall we say i mean even obama say what you want about him but he said oh, listen i don't want any cabinet members i don't want any members of my staff 
doing any lobbying business or their families for that matter. And so what did uh, Hunter do? He went out and got himself some lobbying business in direct defiance of his dad's boss. Now, for all those who say, oh, well, you know what? He was a grown man, whatever. Okay, but I'm sorry. His dad is still the vice president of the United States of America. In that case, if you can't control your son, he's going to do some shady stuff. Maybe you ought to, like, take a back seat, Joe. Maybe you ought to resign. Seriously. But no, you didn't do that. Not only did you not do that, somehow you decided to get involved in this email traffic. Again, going back to that graphic, because I think this is important for you guys to see, and they certainly took a little time to create this. They want you to see that he was emailing while getting ready for that trip to Ukraine. Now, I want to remind everybody what was at stake at that point, because remember how Hunter had that huge plum deal with Burisma, natural gas company, now defunct, a really kind of sketchy natural gas company. He was making like some 80 some thousand dollars a month in a board job. Like that doesn't normally happen. Like you don't even make that in a year in most board jobs. So to get that kind of money in a month, plus his business partner, Devin Archer, was getting the same amount of money. I mean, that's kind of unheard of, unless it's really not just a typical board job, unless it's about something else. And in this case circumstantial evidence. I mean, look, you know, you're innocent till proven guilty most of the time. You look at this evidence and you say, wait a second, how is it that Hunter is getting all this money from this company? And this company was really annoyed because it had this prosecutor that would be Victor Shokin out trying to investigate the company. And they didn't want the investigator on their trails so they what hire hunter and the upshot of it is sure enough joe biden went over there he volunteered to the cfr council on foreign relations of which i was a member and richard haas and he who's head of the cfr they sat down and they did this little interview and joe was quite proud of it he said i fired the guy and there were some obscenities laced in there too as he talked about his trip to ukraine and he was saying that shokin was corrupt but hey what if it was actually The total reverse of that. In other words, you get a corrupt company and the corrupt company goes out and hires this no good kid, kid, not even a kid, right? He's, he's older than me. And he gets dad to go over there and do what that company wants. I mean, that's the big question. That's what this is really effectively about. Was the white house for sale vis-a-vis Hunter Biden? And that's what we're trying to get to the bottom of. And so that is why you're looking at the potential for impeachment. Just yesterday, James Comer was, you know, wagging around this 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 new thing, the direct deposit that we saw from Hunter's companies going into Pop's accounts. Now, the Democrats will say, no, nothing to see here. It's just some car loans. But again, you don't usually mingle like this is kind of accounting 101. OK, you do not mingle your business accounts with your personal accounts. Otherwise, you do run the risk of being accused of everything that Hunter and Joe are being accused of right now. And so this has to move forward. It has to move forward. And we have to get to some kind of discovery, more than a discovery process, right? And the only way you're going to do that is if you, in fact, get to impeachment. Now, I'm hearing back channels. They think that they have the votes. So that could be coming any day now. But the big news of the moment, again, breaking again, is that Hunter Biden is going to have to testify. And he can't get his... His, his way on this. He is going to have to be there on December 13th. And let's just say, I suspect we will see some fireworks, won't we? As we should, as we should. Look, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if Biden is going to be able to make it. I don't know if he's going to be able to make it, one, because there's this, right? And by the way, God help us, because... <laughs> If the GOP is successful, you do know what that means, right? Ta-da! Kamala! Oh, no. I mean, that would be that would be really bad. Careful what you wish for, guys, okay? Careful what you wish for. But I think he's in tough shape, something that clearly the former president of the United States definitely believes and uh, has talked about at some length on various programs, including on Fox News last night with Sean Hannity. Let's go to this clip because uh, he thinks Biden is just so weak. He's not going to make it. He's not going to make it to 2024. Listen in. Of Joe Biden. And of course, he is struggling cognitively. I can't think of in the last couple of months any appearance that he has had where he wasn't either mumbling or bumbling or stumbling or having no clue where to go, where to exit. 
Now, my question is, do you think in 11 months he will be their candidate? I personally don't think he makes it. Okay, I haven't said that. I'm saving it for this big town hall. I've never really. I personally don't think he might. I think he's in bad shape physically. Do you remember when he said, I'd like to take him behind the barn? If he took me behind the barn and I went like this, I believe he'd fall over. I believe he'd fall over. I do believe he also got into the beach thing again, too, you know, because he, he doesn't like the look of. The president always on the beach. Anyway, it was was kind of a funny moment. Everybody's talking about something else, however, that happened. And we will also talk about that. But before we do, think about this. Okay, so Donald Trump makes the comments about Biden and, and how sort of weak he is and you know, it's a sentiment that is definitely echoed by the entire voting population, right? You you talk to anyone, and I think on both sides of the aisle, the biggest concern is, can he make it? Can he actually do this job? Because, you know, he's up there. He's up there in age, and you can be in your 80s, and you can be in your 80s. And this guy has never necessarily had, like, the best in terms of cognitive functioning ability. He's always been, dare I say, kind of a little dumb, right? I mean, like, I've been listening to the guy since I was a little kid. He used to campaign in New Hampshire. Heard him when I was about 10 years old and he was running for president. He's been at this a long time, right? He wasn't great back then. He's not great now, period. But there is some worry that he is declining and declining fast. And yet they're going to have him run. They're going to have him run. Why? For one reason only, because he's the only one that can beat Trump, he thinks. I mean, this is your only reason for running. Not that you care about America. Not that you want to help people. Not that you want to fix the economy, fix the world. No, no, no. You just want to beat Trump? I mean, how pathetic is that? you got to see this, guys. you really got to see this because he was out there. He was asked by a reporter. He had actually been saying this in some private events, we're told, some fundraisers. And so finally a reporter said, you know, what if, what if Donald Trump wasn't in the race? Would that change your mind? Let's cut to this clip. It's an impromptu moment with the president. I, I expect so, but look, he, he is running, and I just I have to run. You drop out, Trump runs out. No, not now. Wow. So he's running because Trump is running. Think about that. Think about what that says, or or perhaps what it doesn't say. It, it's not because he wants to help. Americans achieve better success. It's not because he wants to help the middle class that's feeling the squeeze. No, you know what? You look at the numbers. I'll tell you this. With Bidenomics, the middle class is getting killed thanks to inflation and a lousy economy. It's like 1970-something all over again. Welcome back, Carter. A play on Welcome Back, Carter. By the way, Norman Lear, who was the creator of Archie Bunker, remember that show? He just passed away. I think he was 101. So he he passed Kissinger in age. Anyway, thinking of Welcome Back, Carter, a a television show just reminded me of that. But I I think bottom line here is that's not a reason to run. You don't want to run just because Trump is running. And by the way, I, I, I still don't think you're the best that the Democrats could offer. Or maybe you are. I mean, isn't that saying something pretty, 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 pretty scary? Well, so the Democrats are now realizing, guess what? We can't beat this guy. Look at the polls. Poll after poll after poll after poll shows Donald Trump is beating Joe Biden in like every category. So what are they doing? They're doubling down on fear. Fear works. Fear sells in the news business. You knew that, you know, the saying, if it bleeds, if it bleeds, it leads. And so they're pushing this narrative. Trump is bad. Trump's going to ruin America. This, that and the other. I mean, it's getting kind of hard to believe them only because every single time they push a narrative, it turns out they're totally wrong. Totally, utterly wrong. I mean, think about the Hunter Biden laptop. 
Ah, oh, that was just Russian disinformation. There was no FBI investigation going on in Hunter Biden. <gasps> Except there was. Except there was, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, it, it, time after time after time. They've been proven. Just look at, you know, we don't have to get into the whole thing, but March 2020 and the virus that came out of that. And people tried to say, well, you know, hey, like there's this lab in China, in Wuhan, China. And deep states like, no, 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 no. I mean, you really couldn't go there. This was like no-go zone, right? Only to finally see a number of three-letter agencies, all except for the CIA, I guess they have a split there still, come out and say, yeah, you know what? This most likely came out of Wuhan, China. CIA hasn't totally okayed that, though, yet. So there's a lot of misinformation out there, but I think Americans are scratching their heads and saying, but wait a second, I think the, the source of the misinformation, thank you very much, happens to be you guys. And so they're okay with that. Now they're, they're going to double down on that. They're tripling down on that. The Atlantic came out with a whole issue on that. If Trump were to win, God help us all. God help us all. Because you know what? America's over. That's the end of it. We will never be the same. I read you some excerpts from The Atlantic yesterday, but let's go now to David Frum, who's one of the authors of one of the stories, one of the many. There are 20-some-odd stories on how America would just be over if Donald Trump were to win. Here he is on Morning Joe pushing that narrative, and they just ate it up. Let's think about that moment on noon of Inauguration Day 2025, and suppose Donald Trump is the person taking the oath. At that point, Donald Trump will be at the center of four criminal indictments, two federal and two state. He may already be on trial. He may already have been convicted. There's nothing that stops a convicted person from being elected president. At the same time, in the state of New York, he's going to have a criminal, a civil trial to dissolve all his companies for, for their crimes. Um, so what does he do when he finishes his inaugural address and goes back to the White House at uh, 12.05 or 12.10, skips the parade, he's bored. His very first priority is going to be to bust up the legal system of the United States. Because if he doesn't, he probably goes to prison. So that's priority I, I one. I this guy is like a, quote, journalist, right? But he's got all this leading stuff. Oh, what does he do? It's 12.01. You know, it, it's unbelievable the way they, they carry on and they try and paint this picture. Kind of reminds me of Nancy Pelosi bringing her daughter in, the documentary producer, right, with the J6 tapes. And that's all we saw. All we saw. All we saw. Anyway, so David Frum goes on and on and on and basically says this is a dictator in the making, that he's going to go after all his enemies. And there's this thought process out there from all of them, right? They're, they're repeating it. It's like they got their talking points. And you just got, just keep drilling this in, that he's going to imprison people. He's going to go after his enemies. He's going to use the legal system to go after people. Well, Trump's looking at him. He's like, well, wait a second. Didn't they do that to me? This is exactly what I said to you, actually, before he said this on Hannity last night. I said this to you just yesterday. Isn't that exactly what they did to him? You got Letitia James out there in New York who campaigned on going after Trump, now trying to come up with some concocted legal nonsense in which somehow she is saying that the state has to value his property as opposed to, well, he in the bank that was lending him money. I mean, this this one, and you know, I'm a business reporter by background, so that one just really kind of gets me, and it's frightening because this is exactly the kind of stuff they do in communist countries. What do you think Hugo Chavez did in Venezuela with all his political enemies? Oh, he just went and used the courts to his advantage so that he could take property from the people that he didn't want or just exile them from Venezuela or various places. I mean, this is quite reminiscent of that in many different ways. So that's frightening. They say he's a dictator. Yet they've been the ones going after him. They're the ones that are locking people up because, gosh, you thought something was funny and you shared a meme on Twitter. Remember that? We talked about Doug McKay, who, who, who's locked up. I mean, he just got out on bail, but he's still going to go to trial. They wouldn't even let him out on bail. Eight days after Joe Biden came into office, they showed up on his doorstep and he's been in jail ever since. So how is it that, that Trump's the dictator? Well, he had some fun with that. He had a little bit of fun. Uh, said he would he'd do it for a day. Maybe that's a play on what The Atlantic was saying. The only thing is uh, he actually wants to get stuff done. <laughs> 
here. Watch this clip. It's kind of funny. This is, this is Donald Trump again on with Hannity last night. They did this town hall. It was a chance for him to talk. It was a conversation. Here we go. Donald Trump on whether or not he would be a dictator. We almost have to go to a break. I want to go back to this one issue, though, because the media has been focused on this and attacking you yeah. under no circumstances. You are promising America tonight. You would never abuse power as retribution against anybody. Except for day one. Yeah. Except Look, what? He's going to prison. Except for day one. Meaning? I want to close the border and I want to drill. That's drill, not a that's, drill. That's not, oh, no. that's not retribution. I got I'm going to be, I'm going to be, you know, he keeps, <laughs> we love this guy. He says, you're not going to be a dictator, are you? I said, no, 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 other than day one. We're closing the border. And we're drilling, drilling, drilling. After that, I'm not a dictator. That that, that sounds to me like you're going back to the policies when you were president. (laughs) All right. Handy's trying to help him out there. He's like, oh, man, you know they're going to run with this. And, of course, they did, right? They're like, oh, Trump's, he is going to be a dictator, whatever. Look, you got to just sometimes look at actions and what Trump has done, didn't do. Yes, bad tweets. Yes, said things that he shouldn't. Yes, invited controversy at times when, you know, he just didn't need to. However, when you look at the policies and then they try and tell you that he's going to lock you up and you look at what Joe Biden and company have been doing to constantly control the narrative It's very different. You see, they do it behind closed doors. Trump's out in the open. He's like, yeah, you know, you, CNN, I don't like you. Whereas what what you actually see the Biden administration doing is going around, right? Like Joe Biden's never the one to be out there doing that. They've They've got people for that, all kinds of people for that. And then when you try and ask them about it, they... Go silent. Corrine Jean-Pierre just closed down a press conference the other day when the reporter dared to ask her about the direct deposit that was going into Pop's account from Hunter's LLCs. I mean, really bad stuff, guys. Really, really bad stuff. Accounting one on 101, something, something wasn't right. I want to turn to another story right now. Um, this is just one that, that is really troubling and I think speaks volumes about where we are as a society and how the elites have just lost so much touch with reality. They've been pushing and pushing a kind of narrative that's very divisive, that's very angry, and that's very, very rooted, frankly, in racism. So they want to tell... Everybody else, they, you know, you're the racist. You're the, I mean, these are, these are terrible things to say and things from which, you know, what is somebody supposed to say when they're called these things? It's very prevalent on college campuses right now. And it goes with the whole CRT, DEI nonsense that has allowed this effectively to be so horrendously fueled. I mean, consider, consider this guy. And we're going to get to what happened. Unbelievable stuff. Unbelievable stuff on Capitol Hill. And I just got to say, hats off. Hats off to Elise Stefanik out of New York, who challenged these leaders of these elite universities in a massive way. But let's understand where this is coming from, okay? I think we get a backup. What I'm going to get to is just the anti-Semitism, which is off the charts and completely unacceptable and just disgusting and horrendous to see. But it comes from somewhere. It comes from somewhere. There's this whole idea that these are the oppressors, right? Like anybody who has a certain skin color is an oppressor. But it's not just skin color, because I think there's plenty of people in, in Israel who would not identify as quote-unquote white, Yet, yet, these elite institutions are sort of catering to this idea that somehow, and it's even disgusting to be, even saying these words, that somehow Israel deserved it. Heck, you know, the kids at Harvard, 
They literally put that out. They put it out. But here, understand where this kind of stuff is coming from. Let's listen to this guy, Kendi, who's like the father of it all. He's got some two-bit professor job that they pay him plenty of money for, guarantee you, at Boston University. He wrote a book on this stuff. And uh, he, he basically thinks that, you know what, if you're white, basically you're not human. You can't appreciate humanity. Are you kidding me? This is sick and it needs to be called out. Here's this guy. What a jerk. Watch. I think uh, white uh, people worldwide have really reckoned with how much their own personal identity is shaped by constructions of whiteness. And, and how much um, that construction of whiteness uh, prevents uh, white people from uh, connecting to humanity. Unbelievable. I mean, what a jerk. What a disgusting thing to say. And he says this. And people applaud him and give him more money. I play that for you because this was just the other day at some conference. And it's important to understand when you say, how, how can this be going on in college campuses? How can we be, be seeing stuff like this? Let, let's go to this University of Pennsylvania chant. These students were marching across campus yelling, you can't hide. We want Jewish Genocide. I mean, this is horrible. Watch, watch this stuff. Watch this. We want justice. You can't hide. Israel, Israel, you can't hide. We want Jewish genocide is what they are shouting. And it's sick. It really is. And even more sickening is over at Harvard, Cambridge, Massachusetts. A few weeks ago, a kid who was perceived to be Jewish was walking across campus. And take a look. Let's watch this. I'm going to talk to you as we watch this video come up. You see, we can hear it a little bit. He starts getting yelled at. They they go after him, and they start yelling at him, and they're harassed. I mean, I don't know. What would you call this? I'm curious, guys. Like, let me know. What do you think this is? I would consider this harassment. I mean, if somebody came up to me, a group of people that were pro-Palestine and, and somehow knew I was Jewish. I mean, I think he had a he may have had a yarmulke on. Do we have? It, so these kids, by the way, these kids, they're one of them's an editor of Law Review at Harvard. That's like. Typically kind of a prestigious gig, right? Like you're, you're kind of smart and you got things going on. This Abraham Barmall is an editor of Law Review. So he's part of this. And they think this is okay? I mean, this is more than harassment. This is more than bullying. This is a kind of intimidation. If we can play the whole thing, I don't know. We can If we see the very end of it, they start screaming, shame, 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 shame. Maybe you already heard that part, but I'll tell you, that is just... Awful. So that's the climate in these Ivy League universities. And don't even get me going on Columbia, my alma mater, and uh, Cornell and all these other places. Disgusting. So know that Elise Stefanik, representative from New York, she literally just absolutely, <laughs> I, I, she like massacred these women that are these Ivy League presidents in such a fantastic, important, and needed way. Needed. I say that because you know what? I'm sick of it. Like, you just got to call it for what it is. And if you're not willing to do that, then wow, you are just, you're frankly a bad person. Claudine Gay, one of them over at Harvard University. And I believe, I've told you guys this before, she went to high school with me. She was there, as I understand, as a student from Saudi Arabia. I was just a townie, you know, at a a fancy boarding school in New Hampshire. Claudine was there vis-a-vis Saudi Arabia. I mention that just because, you know, it's interesting to understand her 
quote-unquote cosmopolitan and international background. Anyway, she was a senior, I was a freshman. I do not remember her at all, so um, unmemorable. But she went on to get a pretty big job at Harvard, where she's now, if you ask me, I don't know how else you describe this, effectively defending these harassers, these kids that are, I mean, you call that whatever you want. I think that's pretty bad, what we just saw. She's she's not calling that student out. She's not like saying, listen, he can't ever come back to school here, the one that participated in that, that was part of law review. And even worse, she's not even bothering to apologize to one of the major alums that's leading, leading the case against Harvard right now. Watch this clip and let's just give a round of applause for Elise on this one because she went to Harvard, by the way. She went to Harvard, and I'll tell you, she's 10 times as smart as this Claudine Gay. Watch it. Ms. Stefanik, you're recognized for five minutes. Dr. Gay, a Harvard student calling for the mass murder of African Americans is not protected free speech at Harvard, correct? Our commitment to it's free speech. It's a yes speech. or no question. Is that corrected? Is that okay for students to call for the mass murder of African Americans at Harvard? Is that protected free speech? Our commitment to free speech. It's a yes or no question. Let me ask you this. You are president of Harvard, so I assume you're familiar with the term intifada, correct? I've heard that term, yes. And you understand that the use of the term intifada in the context of the Israeli-Arab conflict is indeed a call for violent armed resistance against the state of Israel, including violence against civilians and the genocide of Jews. Are you aware of that? That type of hateful speech is personally abhorrent to me. And there have been multiple marches at Harvard with students chanting, quote, there is only one solution, intifada revolution, and, quote, globalize the intifada. Is that correct? I've heard that thoughtless, reckless, and hateful language on our campus. Yes. So based upon your testimony, you understand that this call for intifada is to commit genocide against the Jewish people in Israel and globally, correct? I will say again, that type of hateful speech is personally abhorrent to me. Do you believe that type of hateful speech is contrary to Harvard's code of conduct, or is it allowed at Harvard? It is at odds with the values of Harvard. Can you but not say here that it is against also, the code of conduct at Harvard? How can she not we say embrace that? a commitment to free expression, even of views that are objectionable, offensive, hateful. It's yeah. when that speech crosses into conduct that violates our policies against bullying, harassment, Does that speech not cross that barrier? Does that speech not call for the genocide of Jews and the elimination of Israel? You testify that you understand that is the definition of intifada. Way to go, Elise. Is that speech speech according to the code of conduct or not? We embrace a commitment to free expression and give a wide berth to free expression, even of views that are objectionable. You and I both know that's not the case. You are aware that Harvard ranked dead last when it came to free speech. Are you not aware of that report? As I observed earlier, I reject that characterization. It's the data shows it's true. And isn't it true that Harvard previously rescinded multiple offers of admissions for applicants and accepted freshmen for sharing offensive memes, uh, racist statements, sometimes as young as 16 years old? Did Harvard not rescind those offers of admission? That long predates my time as president. But you understand that Harvard made that decision to rescind those offers of admission. I have no reason to contradict the facts as you present them. Correct, because it's a fact. You're also aware that a Winthrop House faculty dean was let go over over who he chose to legally represent, correct? That was while you were dean. That is an incorrect characterization of what transpired. What's the characterization? I'm not going to get into details about a personnel matter. (laughs) Okay. Okay, so the hypocrisy is like off the charts. Claudine's got some prepared statement. She just keeps reading it, reading it, reading it, reading it. Let me just be perfectly blunt and perfectly honest. Do you think that after George Floyd, if 
white students had paraded around campus doing what these extremists that are so pro-Hamas are doing, do you think that that would have been allowed? You know the answer, right? I mean, we know the answer to that. No, it wouldn't have been. And it shouldn't have been. Right? Like that, that would not ever be okay. So why is this okay? Why is there somehow a tolerance for being anti-Semitic? A tolerance, an acceptance of that. They're not willing to protect their students better. Imagine if you're applying to school right now. I, I'm li- looking at your comments, by the way. Thank you for being here, everyone. Leslie, good to see you back. Don as well. David, David, listen, I, I don't know what to say other than I, I wouldn't even want to hire anyone from these schools right now. People need to stop giving them money. People need to stop applying to them. Heck, University of Florida, I know they have their troubles too. Believe me, I know. But Ben Sass coming out and saying what he said Right after October 7th, he he took the lead on that. And believe me, I know a lot of people that are applying to University of Florida, which is now ranked number one among state schools above UVA, above University of Michigan. There's a lot of opportunity out there. She mentioned that fire report. Harvard is dead last. Guess who is way up? Not number one, but they're number two. University of New Hampshire, my home state. Live free or die country, right? I think there's a libertarian kind of philosophy, but still within the, the, the realm of not being crazy. Like what they're, I mean, there's, there's a whole double standard going on at Harvard and at UPenn and at Cornell and at Columbia and all of these places. And it's really troubling. But again, don't forget where it comes from. I want to play Guys, I want to play the candy sot again, because don't forget where this comes from. Here he is, the, the, the DEI guy. White uh, people worldwide have really reckoned with how much their own personal identity is shaped by constructions of whiteness and, and how much um, that construction of whiteness uh, prevents uh, white people from uh, connecting to humanity. Wow. I mean, how could anybody say such a thing? He's basically trying to dehumanize people because of the color of their skin. Let that sink in and tell me, is it not time that we as a nation Start to take back our country in the way that it was meant to be, equal opportunity for all, not based on your color, not based on your sex, not not what it's becoming. We need to be in America for everyone, a meritocracy that allows every single person in this country an equal access to opportunity. I'm not saying everybody's going to get there. Yeah, and there's some luck and there's some this and there's some that. But you know what? America's always been a place where you come here, you're willing to put in the work, you got the sweat equity, you're willing to invest. And guess what? It matters. It pays off. Because no one cares in a capitalist system about the color of your skin. All they care about is that you can help make them money. And then the pie grows for everyone. But we've gotten so far away from that because of nuts like this guy down at Boston University. I'm sorry. You can't say stuff like that and not expect people to react. And the people that don't react are foolish. Absolutely, positively foolish. I will say this. Bill Ackman. Bill Ackman, a noted billionaire. I've known him for many years. In fact, I uh, remember his notorious fights with Carl Icahn, another billionaire out of New York, who uh, <laughs> I just got to say, you remember that Herbalife thing? Uh, well, I do believe that Carl won that round, but I, I do also believe that I had a, an effect on, on starting that fight when I was at Bloomberg Television because Carl was on my program and he was talking. And he took a few shots at Ackman and Ackman was all worked up and he fired back. Next thing you know, they're off to the races in this giant dueling match. But let me just say, like, Ackman was not necessarily a match Carl. Um, and, and on the trading side, too, I do believe that Carl came out ahead on that one. 
Anyway, anyway, I give Bill so much credit, so much credit, because he's been leading the charge there at Harvard. you got Mark Rowan over at UPenn. But Bill's doing a good job there trying to get people to pay attention to what's going on at Harvard. And he wrote a very heartfelt letter to Claudine, Claudine Gay. Like, it was a long letter. It was almost too much. Like, I was like, whoa, you know. But you could tell. You could feel his emotion when he wrote this thing. And he posted it on Twitter. And yet he didn't call for her resignation. I mean, I would have called for the lady's resignation. She needs to quit or be fired today. Like, end of story. She can't lead the place. Let's move on. He didn't do that. Not until today. Today, Bill Ackman threw the towel in. He wants the woman gone. Do you know that she didn't even have the decency to write him back? So he's out with a new letter. And he's now calling for her to resign in disgrace. As she should. And there are calls for the woman at UPenn to resign. And I would expect that there's going to be more calls for the woman at Columbia to resign. Interesting that they're all women, by the way. That's neither here nor there. I mean, I'm a huge, huge believer. I'm like the original feminist back before they totally took over the term and believe women should do whatever they want to do. But I don't like the idea that we're just like checking boxes, right? And all of a sudden, every university president has to be a minority and has to be female and has to be this, that, and the other. Like, I'm sorry. Again, I want to go back to the America that became successful because we believed that we could be the best. And in doing so, we became the best because you know what? We rewarded the best, not because you're male or female or you have pink or purple hair. That's not the way this needs to work. That's a communist dictatorship. A Marxist-style economy where there doesn't need to be any proof in the pudding, so to speak. That's that's not where we want to go, but I'll tell you this. That's exactly what the left wants. And they're terrified that Donald Trump is going to take that opportunity away from them. Which is why they're now enlisting the support of a mega superstar. Enter stage left, Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift, she is Time Magazine's new woman of the year. So the media is in on this too, right? They're like, we can prop her up and prop her up. And by the way, you know what? She's, she's talented. I liked her earlier music better than the current music. But um, I'm not saying she's not talented. She's a talented musician and she works it, so to speak. And she's now on the cover of Time Magazine. You know, I, I guess she's with good company because what was it? Zelensky? That was the last Guy on that, that last year, President Zelensky out of Ukraine. Anyway, um, that's worked out well for him, right? The, here's Taylor Swift. You're looking at the cover right there. She is the new person of the year for Time Magazine. And there's a lot of hope that Taylor Swift is going to help deliver the presidency and maybe a few other seats along the way for the left. Because she's made her politics pretty clear. Over and over again, I want to go to the newest and greatest thing she put out. And everybody's like, oh, they're so excited. They're so excited because Taylor Swift, she's joining our team. She is Time Magazine's Person of the Year. And no sooner did that happen, no sooner did they prop her up as their quote-unquote secret weapon, did she release this tweet. Let's go to the tweet because she's out on Twitter and she's already making political statements. Quote, after stoking the fires of white supremacy and racism your entire presidency, you have the nerve to feign moral superiority before threatening violence. When the looting starts, the shooting starts, we will vote you out in November, real Donald Trump. So this is one of her tweets, right? She is, she's out there. She's very politically outspoken, something I actually don't think artists really ought to do. I really don't. But this is what she does, and she made a decision to do this and then documented the whole decision to do this on her little show, some documentary she had where she just just complained and complained to her parents, and they were worried. They're like, hey, you're going to tell her, like, this might be a security risk. And she said, I don't care. I have to be on the right side of history. And then this got blared everywhere. So just remember, you got to be on the right side of history. You want to be with Taylor Swift, right? Or else, or else you're, you're getting a dictator who's going to ruin America. Here we go. Let's run the tape. Just from a security so you think Taylor people... Swift comes out against Trump? I don't care if they write that. I'm sad that I didn't two years ago, but I can't change that. 
I'm saying right now that this is something that I know is right, and you guys, I need to be on the right side of history. And if he doesn't win, then at least I, I at least I tried. <laughs> well, she's with him now, and they are delighted, and they are rewarding her with a lot of media attention. All very, very positive. So take a look at this. This is very important for the Democrats. They noted in Teen Vogue, nonetheless, in Teen Vogue, they noted that Taylor Swift got 35,000 new voter registrations for them after just one single Instagram post. Heck, this woman can bring back the NFL and the Democrat Party all in one go, (laughs) right? I mean, the NFL, right? Struggling with ratings. And then all of a sudden up pops the boyfriend, Travis Kelsey, who, by the way, also does Pfizer commercials, and um, suddenly they're getting ratings like they've never seen before. The Democrat Party's looking at that and saying, hey, we've got a good thing here, right? We've got a good thing. She posts something on Instagram, and suddenly, what do you know, 35,000 new registrations. You know what? That's, that's commendable, 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 Taylor. But it's just funny how this stuff works. They need someone trustworthy, to represent them. They need to energize the base. They can't. They got poor Joe who can't even make it up a flight of stairs. And his only reason, of course, for running is to beat Trump. Not that he wants to help America or anything. I mean, maybe he wants to help his pockets. I'll tell you that story on Hunter and him. That's not going away. And I've told you before, James Comer, he's like a dog with a bone and he is determined as he should be because our Oval Office, our government, should never be for sale. If it is, then we are no better. We are no better than Ukraine. We're no better than those banana republics down in Latin America where everyone and anything is for sale. That better not be us. And so we need to get to the bottom of that. that. And I I think we will. So, you know, that's my my birthday present, right? (laughs) December 13th. Don't forget, guys, we're going to have to watch that together. I just want to briefly go out to some of your comments and thank you so much to all of you. Again, just a reminder, we are live on Rumble. We are live on YouTube. We are live on Facebook. And I'll tell you, we are steadily growing. Thanks to you guys. Thanks to you guys. 165,000 now and counting there on YouTube. So thank you for that. We get some great, great people in the chat. Don talking about Disney again, because wow, I know you hate Disney. I'm so disappointed in Disney. It's it's surreal. This was a company that had everything going for it, Don, everything in the world. And it just blew it. It blew it because of bad management. Don, thank you very much. He points out 169,000, 169,000. Thank you for that. And listen, Danny, it's good to have you here as well. Danny's saying it's easy to be kind and respectful to people that we like and that are making us happy. So thank you for that. And and yes, the moral fortitude. Listen, we got to have it right now. This is the time, ladies and gentlemen, for all of us to really think about our values, what matters to us as a country, to make decisions. I mean, Disney's a great example. I really do think that this is going to come back to bite the company, but I don't think they can really fix it. I mean, the train has left the station. They hired all those Harvard kids. And if they didn't get the Harvard kids, they got the Cornell kids or, you know, some other derivative of Harvard. And we see the mentality, the Boston University, BU professor, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me for saying this for anybody who went there. My own father actually went to law school there, but we called it PU when I was in high school. You know, well, it was Massachusetts. We were New Hampshire. (laughs) There's kind of a rivalry there. Anyway, PU University with the Kendi guy saying horrific things. I mean, this is what the kids are being taught. And that trickles down all the way to the lower schools as well, all throughout America. And so if this is what you're being indoctrinated in, and it is a kind of indoctrination, then what are these corporations really left with? Don, Disney, think about Disney. Like, how how do they have a chance in H-E-double-L? They went out and hired all these students. And if they didn't come from Harvard, they came, as I said, from some derivative of it. And they're not making huge amounts of money. They don't have any skin in the game. They don't really care. They care more about climate change and more about gender equality and transgender equality and this, that, and the other, and making sure you have 200 different genders. Care more about that than they do about making money for their corporation in any given quarter. So they are so devoid of any sort of 
understanding, basic understanding of the need for that corporation to succeed. They don't like corporations, right? It's big, bad corporate America. I mean, look at, what's her name? The Heiner Schneid lady over at Bud Light. For goodness sakes, this is a woman. Also went to Harvard, by the way. (laughs) Interesting, right? I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Went to Harvard, you know, (laughs) clearly didn't understand how to market anything, it took a beer that was the top-selling beer in all of America and destroyed the brand, like, overnight. Just destroyed it. And you look at the stock price, it still has not fully recovered to the levels it had been at, say, on April 1st of last year before the whole influencer campaign. Because she thought she knew better. She was had so much conviction about the future and what Bud Light needed to be, what it wasn't. I mean, she, she just somehow didn't care that the audience or the consumer, right, that drank it had an affinity for it. And it went along with that brand and there was a history there, et cetera. It was just so bad. And I look at Disney, same sort of thing. I mean, it was an annual pilgrimage. We went to Disney World every single year growing up. My my parents and my sister and myself, my grandmother would ride in the middle. We drove, we drove because, you know, airline ticket prices were high and my mom was a little afraid of flying. So we drove the whole way. And that was before there were phones and that was before there were any devices for kids to play on. So you want to talk about uh, fun family memories. Anyway, that drive to Florida, but we loved Disney and Disney represented so much and the ability to go there, even if you were driving and staying in a cheap hotel, it represented something, and that's all changed. And I don't think they can get it back because I think their employee base has been infiltrated by these Harvard and Harvard derivative kids. And they don't necessarily even make enough money to care about the stock price and the bottom line. They're not incentivized with the reasons that they should be incentivized. But instead, they're incentivized by this woke nonsense. And that actually is going to be really, really destructive shall we say, for America. It's going to be a big problem. It's, going to, it's, 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 got to, it's got to be addressed somehow, some way. And that's why it's important that you're here. It's important that you subscribe. Love having you guys here. Thank you. Thank you so much for all that you do. Like it. Share in the comments. Don, you wanted to say something on Disney. I'll look for that in the comments there below. By the way, I just a quick housekeeping note. I know we're working on the live thing. We are. <laughs> Trust me. This is, this is more technical than anything I think I've ever done in my life. And I, I think the producing team would agree with that. So bear with us. We are going to get this settled down so that it is like clockwork every day. But wow, I, I, I feel like Elon Musk. I'm like putting satellites in space here. <laughs> Anyway, great to see you guys. Thank you again for listening. This will be on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't gone over to Apple Podcasts, do me that favor. Give it five stars, five stars, thumbs up, share it, all that stuff. It every single bit helps. I'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks.